Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitramelides, joined as ever by Sid Lowe. We thought, Sydney, that we might not actually do a podcast today because you've got a, a very, very difficult timetable. <laughs> Even though it's international break, uh, you're still busy covering football all over Spain. So, um, yeah, what are you doing today? I'm in Barcelona. I've, I've got uh, a day, almost the entire day, at, at Barcelona's, uh, with Barcelona's women's team. Of course, they play against Real Madrid on Wednesday night in the Camp Nou, which is sold out. So 99,000 people at that Champions League game. So, uh, so it's uh, all, all to build up towards that in terms of preview and, and so on. And you thought you were going to have a quiet week with the international program. I know, I know. It happens. It happens. <laughs> you look at it, you think, come on, not now. <laughs> uh, speaking of Barcelona, that's where Spain played at the weekend. They beat Albania 2-1 in a friendly at Espanyol Stadium in Cornea uh, on, uh, on Saturday night. It was uh, Spain's first game in Catalonia for 18 years. And the atmosphere was incredible. A lot's been made of this because... <laughs> All right, if you don't live in Spain and you're not that interested in the sort of socio-political situation here, then this is not very interesting or, or a very big deal. But for those of us that do live here and, and cover Spain a lot, and this, is, this was a big deal, and you could sense that the people who went to the game felt that it was a big deal as well. Yeah, I, I think there is a couple of different elements to it, aren't there, that, that kind of feed into that. One, obviously, is just the fact that it was a big deal, just by, you know, just mm. by, by definition. The, the fact that they'd waited 18 years for an opportunity like that and there were a lot of people there really keen to enjoy it and enjoying it because it was unusual for them and an and unexpected opportunity. I think obviously then you can add into that the, the feeling from some people to, to not only um, enjoy it but to, to be sure to express that, you know, to be sure to express that idea that we want this to come back. Um, we want to demonstrate that, that Barcelona is a place that the Spanish national team can come. That there are, as you've already alluded to, there are all sorts of layers of kind of political or, or, or social significance to it, uh, and the atmosphere did look like it was really, really good indeed. Um, Luis Enrique was was keen as well to point this out post game. He was talking about it as being one of the best that he's seen. I think he might even have said the best that that, that he's seen. Um, bear in mm. mind that he is part of the reason why this happened. He's part of the reason insofar as he was the one pushing the idea that look, we should go and play in Catalonia. Uh, we should play a game in Barcelona that, all right, it isn't the Camp Nou, but, it, but the RCD Stadium is a big stadium that, that's, that's really quite well equipped for football. It's not, it's not a great stadium in terms of getting to. In fact, it's a dreadful stadium in terms of getting to. The access is, is awful, um, but, it's, but it's a stadium that creates good atmosphere. It's quite close to the pitch. It's, it's big. It's reasonably steep. Um, and, and I think there was, if you like, a kind of a sense not just of enjoying this, but, but being sure to express that and being sure to say to people, look, we can do this. And, and let's do it again. Now, obviously, the question now, I suppose, is how long it will be before they're back because we have to remember that even if this goes well, it doesn't necessarily mean they immediately come back because the Spanish national team goes all around the country. Uh, it's true that there's been a little bit of a focus on, on Seville uh, recently, partly because of the Federation's deal with, with Seville, with the, with the local government, partly as well, of course, because the European Championships, which were originally due to be in Bilbao, which would also have been socially, socially and, and politically very significant to have seen how, how the reaction to that would have gone. In the end, it didn't happen because they weren't ready for it post-pandemic. Um, but this doesn't mean it will automatically come back to Catalonia because there's, you know, basically every city in Spain gets a chance at some point. All the regional federations get the opportunity to, to effectively offer themselves for Spanish national team games. So it may well be a while before they're back, but I'm pretty sure it won't be 18 years before they're back now. 
Uh, the actual game itself uh, it took Spain a, a while uh, to break yeah. down Albania, as it, as it often does. Uh, Ferran Torres scored uh, in the 75th minute before Granada's Uzuni equalised, only for Danny Olmo to score a, a lovely winner in injury time. Ferran Torres has got an unbelievably good record in terms of goal scoring for Spain. 13 goals in 23 matches. Yeah. That is a really, really good record. I, I believe that in terms of goals per game, Ratios, it's as good as David Villas, for example, which is which is really saying something. Wow. Um, he obviously, I was there when he scored the hat trick against Germany. He's one of these players that I, I don't really need to tell people about about Ferran Torres in the sense that I think everybody's seen him, and this is one of the reasons why Barcelona went for him. But he's one of those players that even when he's even when he's not playing, his having his best performance, he has I think an awareness um, to be a striker. It's true that there's been a bit of a discussion about him in the last what month or so at Barcelona about whether he's a natural finisher. But one thing he is, he may not be a natural finisher. And I, I would more or less buy into that argument, not completely, but more or less buy into that argument. But what I do think he is, is quite a natural mover. I think he understands where the ball's going to drop. I think he understands the movement to get away from defenders. I think that part of the game, which I actually think is possibly more difficult than the, than the finishing, because it's about sort of a natural feel for the game, for your reference points around you, for, for, for where the spaces are going to appear. I think he's very, very good at that indeed. And, you know, we saw this bef- even before... Um, he was a Barcelona player and, and actually before we were really talking about him that much for City that there was just a sort of an intuitiveness about him which I think is very very useful you then obviously still have to find the right role for him whether it's coming off the left which it looks like that would be his best position which actually is what Villa did as well by the way you know David Villa wasn't a, a number yes. nine positionally he would more often than not be playing with Fernando Torres sometimes he would play at number nine but I think he was happier coming in on that diagonal as he did with Barcelona even though that felt a little bit more uh, what would you call it, kind of unnatural to him because he was forced to open the pitch out a bit more than he had done, um, with both with Valencia and with the national team. But I, th- I think it's, it's a role that works really well for Ferran Torres and, and, and he's, he's clearly very, very important from that point of view because you still look at Spain, don't you? I think and sometimes feel that they don't score as many goals or maybe it's more that they don't create as many chances as their territorial dominance suggests that they probably should. Uh, we've spoken about Danny Olmo before uh, on the pod and how he brings something a little bit different uh, to this Spain side. He's obviously a player that Luis Enrique likes yeah. a lot. He scored, he scored the winner. I think it was his fourth goal in 19 appearances for the Spanish uh, first team. Obviously scored and played for the under-21s as well. He, he does have something different in that front three. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm reluctant to, um, to go against my own nature here and give an incredibly short answer. Uh, but shall I do it anyway? Please do, yeah. it's fine. He can shoot. Like, I mean, I mean, <laughs> honestly, I, 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 I genuinely don't think that, that that's to be overlooked. And it's, it, it sounds ridiculously simple, but I think, I think Spain does have a team that, that, that carries possession all the way to the other team's penalty area that sometimes then finds itself, almost by virtue of the way that it plays, denied the space denied the chance to, to, to find a, a ball through or the, the denied the chance to go beyond defences because there is no space beyond the defence because they've pushed them right back into their area. And then, of course, one of the few things that you can do to get around that is to shoot really well. <laughs> Danny Oleman does that particularly mm. well from 20, 22 yards, that sort of thing, coming in from one side and, 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 using, and using the shot towards the far, far corner. That then, obviously, in turn, even when he doesn't score, creates, makes things happen a little bit because, for example... I can't remember which goal it is. There's one where he cuts inside. It's not in this game. It's in two or three games ago. He cuts inside. And I think he hits the bar, doesn't he? And someone scores from the rebound. You get those, you get those um, 
the fact that someone can shoot obviously by definition forces the defence out a little bit because you're in that position where they think well, we better not let him shoot there so we better take a step up so they can't go quite as deep to, to block him and I think, I think that's why he can be important now I must admit I still look at Spain's squad and when everyone's fully fit I feel like Dani Olmo possibly doesn't start but I think he will be significant for them particularly in, in these kind of games and you, you, know, you, you framed it at the start of this conversation as Spain struggled a little bit to find a way through which they often do I think that's part of the reason why they chose this friendly now you partly choose a friendly based on who's available I mean let's, let's not you know let's not be um, coy about this when you get into this kind of situation and lots of teams have got big games to play you're playing the teams you can get but I also think there is a value for Spain because they know they will come up against teams that will defend very deep uh, that will defend in very big numbers that will try and just deny them and actually, this kind of game is, 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 is useful practice for them because this is what we saw in the Euros, isn't it? For a lot of the Euros, we weren't yeah. actually sure that they were very good. And it was partly because we don't always appreciate, I think, how difficult it is to get through a team that, that, that defends very well and defends very, very deep. Uh, Albania were actually decent. Well, yes, decent. They, they were better, much they better were than better we thought. thought. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And obviously, they've got quite a few players that play in La Liga as well. Uh, Ivan Balius at Rayo, Kedibare at Espanyol. Um, yeah, look, look, you know, it was a, it was it was a good good workout for 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 Spain. I, I had lunch last week with with producer Alan and friend of the pod Tom Olner as as well, a journalist who, who lives and works here in Madrid. And and producer Alan made a very good point to us. We were talking about Spain and, and their chances at the World Cup, and he said they've got the best manager. And in a short tournament football, and tournament football, you know, is short. You need someone who is a really, really good manager. And, and if you look at all the top managers, I mean, I, I would say Luis Enrique is, is probably the best manager, the best coach at international level. So that gives Spain a real chance, doesn't it, at the World Cup? Uh, you know what? I'd never really thought of that. And that, there's certainly something in that, isn't there? That sense of, of drive and leadership and clarity of identity and the team built very much by the manager and in, and in the manager's image, if you sort of mean. I think, I, I think that is significant. And I think, I think you're right as well, in a short tournament, that, that sense of kind of creating a common identity and a, and a degree of unity, I think is really... Well, I mean, we saw it at the Euros, because actually, let's not forget that when we went into the Euros, and actually even during the group stage of the Euros, there were a lot of doubts about him. In fact, there was a lot of really quite fierce criticism at times, and a lot of it was absurd, as we know the nature of the game, uh, and, and particularly here where, where there's so much of the focus is on sort of furious debates, you know. Um, but the, the, there was a lot of doubt about him. But actually, I think what you saw is the, build, the building of something. And I, I was writing this week um, about David Raya, and, and one of the things that comes very clear in that is Luis Enrique's view of bringing players through and calling them up to the national team squad. They may not necessarily be the best players if you did a list of who is the best, in this case, goalkeeper. But he's got a very clear idea of what they bring to the team. Very clear idea of structure. So, you know, Iago Aspas is the best example of this, perhaps. Iago Aspas is, I think, the best Spanish forward. I think he is the best Spanish forward. But if he doesn't fit what Luis Enrique is trying to do on a human, technical, tactical, footballing basis, he just doesn't go. You know, Luis Enrique doesn't need to feel the need to say, well, he's good and therefore he deserves it. It's not about whether or not he deserves it. It's about whether he fits in what I'm trying to create. And so I think it doesn't mean he won't get it wrong, by the way, because he may well get it wrong. But I think there is a clarity about what he's trying to do that creates, I think, a unity of purpose. That, that It's unlikely that there will be many teams there quite so clear in, in, in that sense as Luis Enrique is. That says he's such a dominating personality that, of course, there is always the slight potential for that to go wrong. 
uh, Spain are at the World Cup, Italy are not. Something that has yeah. been received with a mixture of incredulity and I was, I was going to say sort of delight here in Spain because they are. There is uh, a little bit. Yeah, are, there is a little Spain's bit. Spain's biggest sort of international rival. Um, we often get asked, you know, do Spain have an international rival? Is it Portugal? Is it France? No, it's Italy. And yeah. they're not at the World Cup. And it was huge news in the world of football obviously it was received here as I said with incredulity and slight delight uh, as well there was also interesting reaction to Gareth Bale scoring two goals for <laughs> Wales vamos Gareth come on come on uh, we were we were very happy to see Gareth Bale score two brilliant goals and respond to the well unacceptable article that appeared on the back page of Marker likening him to a parasite. If you haven't seen the article or read it or you don't read Spanish, you haven't seen it translated or whatever, it's very, very weird to begin with. And then it's really quite mean and, and unacceptable. Now, I'll give you this. If you are a Real Madrid fan and you are unhappy yeah. with some of the things that Gareth Bale has done, some of the way that he has, has comported himself and behaved, all right, all right. There, there are certain things he could have done better. But this is just a little bit too far. Forgetting everything that he's done previously as well for, for Real Madrid. So there are reasons why people are, are upset with him. There are reasons to explain why this article was published. There is, I don't think, too much justification for it. Yeah, I mean, look, we, this is, it's curious, isn't it? Well, it's not curious at all. It's, it's, it's sort of uh, very predictable in a way that genuinely it was, I think, the last pod we did or maybe the one before that when, when I sort of said I'd, I'd finally kind of given up on this. Um, and I sort of said, look, because the, the reality is the last couple of years, Gareth Bale's been largely irrelevant. It just, just sort of almost hasn't existed. And then bang, he goes and scores these two goals and the first of them is brilliant. I mean, they're both good goals, but the first of them is brilliant. And, so, and, and, and that, in a way, that's even more frustrating for Real Madrid fans. And, you know, the front page, I think it was Ass, wasn't it? Used the headline that they were always going to use, which was Yale Valley, which basically means, oh, that's enough now. You know, you're now it, it's, it's effectively like saying, now you're really taking the piss. You know, so you, you, you don't play for us and you turn. It. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of enough already. Stop it, will you? And it's, and it's kind of, it's like, oh, right, okay. So, so now you're okay, are you? So this now does matter, does it? What about all those other games? And, and actually, I, you know, I, I do absolutely, would absolutely agree that from a Real Madrid fan point of view, this, this must be absolutely infuriating. I think it's much more nuanced than that in terms of why he hasn't played more. I think there are question marks about, hang on, could he have been given more opportunities? Because he hasn't asked, well, apart from the Classico, hasn't asked not to play. He's wanted to play this year and, has, and hasn't been given a chance. But of course, that's based on something. And we know that Ancelotti is not a man that's, you know, it's not a man that's rancorous. He's not a man that, that, that leaves people out because he feels like it. He, he, he may be sometimes a little bit conservative in some of his decisions, but he's certainly not leaving out Gareth Bale for fun. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the context of this is, is, quite honestly, from a Real Madrid fan's point of view, it probably does stick in the throat a little bit. That said, as you say, that particular article, I was trying to get my head around it a little bit. I mean, I'll be honest with you, and I don't really like personalising this kind of thing, but, but I'm going to. This is, this is a back page columnist who, in theory, is a kind of a poet. Um, and for, for quite a while, in fact, genuinely, in a WhatsApp group I'm in with some Spanish journalist friends, I actually sent a message to them about eight weeks ago saying... Who is this guy? Is there some backstory that I don't know about? Because I just don't understand what he's there for. Now, which isn't to say he's terrible. I just sort of didn't really see it. And, and it was always in small, small kind of blocks, supposedly with a kind of a poetic look. But it never really worked for me. Now, obviously, look, this is personal taste and all the rest of it. I just sort of didn't see the point. And then I think in this case, this is someone trying to... 
and you know, God knows I'm guilty of doing this, trying to sort of see a, a theme or an idea or a metaphor or whatever, but he really murdered it. And of course, he started using the kind of language which, to be perfectly honest, and I'm not going to go down the obvious route here because I think that would be a step too far from me, but it's the kind of language that um, has been used before in very unpleasant ways, uh, put it that way. Mm. And it was, it was mm. just not very nice. And then, and then on top of it, of course, you then get the, the, the cartoon image of Bale as a parasite. And you sort of think, yeah, that probably is a step too far. And I, I actually had a discussion with, with some Spanish friends about this. And they, one of them said, and I, I think they had a point, one of them said, you know, oh, here we go, it's the classic footballer thing to attack the press. It's an easy thing to do. And I said to him, well, I understand that, but I don't agree entirely because he's not attacking the press. He's attacking a very specific um, and very badly chosen choice of words but look at the same time we're maybe giving this guy more significance than we should because of it and, and obviously Gareth did as well I thought Gareth's response was very interesting by the way him talking about the impact mm. on, upon sportsmen uh, mental health issues and so on and I think this is a broader and recurring theme which we've talked about a few times before and I've often said that I'm very indulgent of footballers when they misbehave or when they answer back or when they have a word or when they seem to get stroppy and stuff because I look at this and think, God, you know, I'm not sure I could live with this degree of scrutiny, pressure, criticism. It's, it must be pretty brutal at times, to be perfectly honest with you. One, one thing I'd pick up on is that in his tweet, he mentioned that thanks to the Daily Mail for bringing this to my attention. Yeah, I'm glad that you picked that up, because I must admit, I read that wrong first time, or at least I think I did read it yeah. wrong. In the, at first, because I, 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 he said something like, the Daily Mail shines light on it, and at first I thought... God, is, he's, is he having a go at the Daily Mail for giving this piece the oxygen no. of publicity? But actually, it was the opposite. Yeah, yeah no, no. And, and uh, my first read was, oh, uh, okay, that seems a little bit unfair on the mail. Uh, but, but you're right, when I read it again, you said to me, no, that is the only reading. I said, is it? And I looked at it again and thought, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that in terms of <clears throat> calling out people for overly scrutinising public figures and affecting oh, their mental what you health, mean. Yes, maybe yes. the Daily Mail. Well that's, one of the reasons, well, that's one of the reasons why I think at first I thought that might be yes. the case, if you see yeah. what I mean, because obviously because of the context that goes mm. with it. Anyway, uh, let's move on, uh, because talking of newspapers, on the front pages of both Mundo Deportivo and Sport today, the two big Catalan uh, dailies, they're saying Barca have reached an agreement with Rafinha of Leeds. Um, I mean, I don't know too much about Rafinha of Leeds. Nor do I, I'm afraid. But apparently he's a winger, he's a wide player, um, which leaves us to wonder what the plans are for Dembele and Adama Traore. Well, look, the, the plan for Adama Traore, to be honest, was always likely to be that, that he only stays for as long as the loan deal is, which is to the end of the season. I'm sure he would love to stay longer, but then, then of course, you've got to come up with a different kind of deal and, and one that's more expensive. Um, I said at the time when he came in, that I felt like, and this was interpretive, it wasn't based on, on hard information, I felt like that there was an element of the signing of Adama Traore was about telling Dembélé that you didn't need him. It was about trying to force Dembélé to take that step that they wanted him to take, which was to leave, obviously, in the winter window. Um, and, of course, that's no longer the case because Dembélé did stay and then by the end of the season either will stay for good or will have to go. Which brings us on to the other one, as you say. What does this say about Dembélé? It says that they still assume that he's going to walk away. Um, all this, by the way, on the assumption that we're, we're taking this as being um, true. Uh, bear in mind as well that obviously the context to everything that Barcelona do is a need to reduce 
costs across the board. Now, a need to reduce costs on two, thi- on two grounds, which, again, we've talked about, but it's worth repeating. There is the fundamental economic health of the club, which is why you're trying to reduce costs. But there is also the mechanics of financial fair play and spain, the salary limits, which means you have to reduce costs to be able to get anyone in. And at the moment, you can only get people in on a four to one basis. For every four euros, you can, you can demonstrate that you've saved in that financial year. You can invest one euro in that financial year. So in other words, you know, let's say for argument's sake, you sell a player for 10 million. Right, there you go. That's 2.5 you can invest. Now, it really is as simple as that. And obviously, the, the mechanics of it are a little bit more complicated, but that's the, ba- the simp- simple basic concept. So anyone you get in has to be cheap. And not only that, but has to be four times cheaper than anything you get out. And so this is why Haaland, <laughs> it, it just can't happen. Um, unless you find some miraculous you know, source of income. <laughs> it, it's, it's, just, it's just not going to happen. Because people will say, for example... Ah, but the spot of, let me, it, let me it just could happen answer if you one get of the of everyone else. Well, exactly, <laughs> and, and so let me answer one of the, one of the assumptions that's been made here. A lot of people said, "Yeah, but the Spotify money's coming in now." Okay, right. Let's let's try and deal with this, and, and because I think I think it is actually quite important. The Spotify money coming in now. Okay, and there will be a deal for you know X, Y, and Z. You know, the sale of Barca Studios, for example, they were talking about, and so on. Right, the Spotify money comes in. I must confess, I can't remember the exact figure, but I think it worked out around about 55 million euros a year. Now, what the way the, the salary limits are done is you have your income taken away by the cost of... Um, take, take away the cost of your, your operating budget, if you like, and then what's left, then you, you, you create a salary limit from the base of that. So, but at the moment, Barcelona's... Um, salary limit is minus 144 million euros. So let's say for argument's sake that that deal from Spotify, and I'm doing this to make maths easier for obvious reasons, as everybody knows, is 44 million euros a year. You're still minus 100 million euros. So unless you can save another 100 million euros, you're still in a position which the only mechanics through which you can spend is at that four to one saving. Because until you get that um, salary budget back on an even kill, and not just on an even kill, hmm. over the amount that your squad actually costs, you are, with, with basically Barcelona are for at least the next three windows, I would say, um, basing any signings on that four to one thing. So anything they do requires a, four t- uh, a saving four times as big as that one thing they do. Anything. I hope that's clear. It probably isn't. It's relatively clear. I mean, I'm, I'm not very good with numbers or maths, but I think neither are you. I mean, it's, it's very you, simple. It's yeah. simple. Any, yeah. anything, anything Barcelona do, anything that Barcelona that costs Barcelona in the summer has to have been preceded by a saving four times as big as that cost. It's, it's basically that simple. Uh, while we've got you listeners, just want to tell you about uh, a little project, side project we've got going over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Uh, we do lots of bonus content about Spanish football. So if you are interested about Spanish football and you'd like more than just your Monday dose of me and Sydney, come and join us. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It costs around four euros a month. Uh, you get at least two podcasts extra a week plus a daily uh, paper review to keep you up to date with everything that's going on here in Spain in the world of football it is good value come and join us 1600 people have joined us already and they say we've got some pretty happy customers so uh, come and give us a give us a try uh, in the segunda división Sid you went to the Estadio Carlos Tartiere to see the mighty Real Oviedo beat Fuenlabrada 3-0 on Saturday how was it? it was it was miraculous I don't think I've sat and watched Oviedo win a game that comfortably 
that enjoyably, and that clearly we're not going to lose for a long, long time. It was, uh, it was, it was great. Good. That's good to hear. You're, you're seventh, just outside the playoffs. As always, yeah. I mean, there is that. I mean, yesterday Ponferradina were, were beaten yesterday, which is the, the, the kind of the team. They're the team that Oviedo sort of got in their sights now. Um, I really hope this isn't going to be. Shall I use the Spanish phrase? Um, swimming to die on the shore. Um, yes. But it's it, it, Oviedo are close now. Oviedo are close now. And and there's a there's, there was a feeling. I mean, uh, to be fair, Fuenlabrada Brother were very very poor. Uh, there, uh, there is a feeling that some that it's sort of coming together in the last few weeks with with, with now, and I, I just don't want to believe because you know we all know yeah. what happens when you start believing in things. Just remember, just remember who came up sixth last season from the playoffs. Rio, they they yeah. on the final day of the season they sneaked sixth, and then they made it into the uh, the Primera División. So you know, keep keep the hope alive, Sydney. Keep the hope alive. Uh, in the Segunda, uh, leaders Abar beat Lugo one 0 They're four points clear of Almeria in second, who were beaten one 0 at home by Girona. Via the lead, are only a point behind Almeria after winning two one at Alcorcón in a sensational game which was on at the same time at the uh, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix apparently and I was very surprised and, and slightly disappointed to see on social media that everybody seemed to be watching the Grand Prix and not by the lead uh, <laughs> your loss guys your loss <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I think we, we established um, in, in no uncertain terms yesterday that the, 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 the TSFP3 yes. are not enormous Formula 1 fans no no, 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 we, we most certainly are not, but, uh, but a lot of people are. Um, this week, uh, we've got another friendly for Spain tomorrow against, yeah, against Iceland at the Estadio Riazor. First time in, in 13 years they're playing there in, in La Coruña. And, of course, we've got Barca Femini against Real Madrid at the Camp now on Wednesday. It's 3-1 from the first leg of their uh, Champions League quarterfinal. And, as Sid said, 99,000 uh, people will be in the Camp now to watch that game. Uh, that's it for this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Podcast slightly shorter because of time constraints and obviously no La Liga to discuss. But if you've got a question, if you've got something we want us to talk about, do send us a question and we'll answer it on tomorrow's Q and A pod. We'll have a bonus pod coming up next uh, later in the week as well. And just generally, loads of good content at patreoncom TSFP. Come and join us. If not, we'll do it all again here next Monday. Adios. Cheerio.